I have really, really missed being here. One of the things that I um, realize when I get really, really busy is that it is uh, great wisdom on God's part that we don't walk alone with him, but that we walk in the midst of a body because, boy, oh boy, do we need each other. And so I just want to thank all of you for being a part of my life and for giving me the privilege of being a part of yours and this remarkable family of Broadway. So Gary has asked me to lead us in prayer this morning, and I thought what I would do is lead us in prayer the way that I lead prayer in my work at Menno Home. So I have an enormous privilege to lead um, our seniors, many of whom, most of whom that are in my care are on a dementia road, which means that many, many of their memories are no longer held within themselves. But we as people of God know that God holds our memories and he holds us. And so I want to lead you in a prayer that I lead them with every week. And the remarkable thing is watching these people who many of whom don't have a short-term memory remember these words. Because they come with actions, what I will do is I will lead you as I lead my residents. So I will say a line of the prayer and it comes with a gesture. And then I will invite you to repeat after me. So it begins like this. Thank you, God, for this new day. We give you all that we have and all that we are. We wait for the gift that you have for us today. Fill us with compassion for those around us. Fill us. Because we want to be close to you all day long. Because we want to be close to you all day long. And normally we would say amen there. But I am going to continue and invite you now to bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not only given us your word in the person of Jesus, but you have given us your word in the very words of Scripture. And when we cannot know for sure, you have also given us your body in your people. Lord, you have provided for us in every way that we would know you. And in knowing you, we cannot help but want to share you and to make you known. 
And so this morning, we lift up this most remarkable, most in many ways hidden mission of our Vacation Bible School to you. Father, I think of how many of us were touched initially by you as young children. Father, I pray that your spirit would do a mighty work through this most inconspicuous of missions. And Father, we trust you to provide as you faithfully provide because this is your work and you will accomplish what it is that you set out to accomplish and you give us the privilege of being a part of it. So we ask you to raise up the people and the resources necessary to touch the lives of the youngest of those, both in our community here and in the broader Chilliwack area. And Father, we also pray for those that we have had the privilege of sending out to Mexico. Father, today they meet the family for whom a new home will be built. Lord, we ask that this would be a blessing on the receivers and the givers. Father, change the lives of those that you have sent today and that though of those who will be receiving your gift today. And Father, I just ask for a special um, anointing on those who are leading both of these missions. For those who are leading in Mexico, I pray that they would be reminded, even now, that this is your work and it is your responsibility that they would remember to come to you to release any responsibility that they may feel for making things happen. In that same vein, Lord, we lift up Jen. Father, what a gift she is to our community. How we thank you for her love for our children. And we ask that you would do the same for Jen. That in these days leading up to VBS, that you would lift the weight from her shoulders. And she would know that she is working with you. Father, we just ask that you would bless all those who are involved. And all those who are involved that are actually giving in ways that are indirect. Bless them, Lord, for their faithfulness to you, for their trust in you. And Lord, we just ask that you would bless Gary as he helps us to remember to draw upon you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week's Alpha video is why and, and how should I read the Bible. And I encourage you to come. If you haven't come to Alpha yet, come to this one. It, directs, connect, it directly connects to the sermon today on, on the Bible. And so you're welcome to come. And if it gets really crowded, we'll just bring up more chairs. 
Okay, so that's our hope. You can come, uh, come this, this Wednesday, especially for this, this one. And then, as well, I wanted to say these at the beginning rather than the end. If you want to get deep into the Word, and that's the challenge for us today. That's God's desire for us. That's the hope what I want, what you want. There's a tremendous website called www.bibleproject.com. It's got videos, it's got teaching, it's got classes. It just digs deep into the, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. I've talked about it a lot, but that's the place to go to. If you have one website to go to, that's the one I trust. So today we're looking at Psalm 119. I'm calling it Center Yourself on His Word. A subtitle that would not be acceptable is The Wisdom of a Self-Centered Life. <laughs> that wouldn't be acceptable because we're not supposed to be self-centered. But here's what I have to say about that. So for the next 25, 30 minutes, I want you to only think of yourself. Okay, it's, it's a God's, you need to center yourself on God's, we're talking about, on God's words, we're talking about yourself. So think about your life, your actions in the last week, last month, your attitudes that you've had in the last week or the last month. Make this a me time. Don't we always, haven't you heard that phrase? It's me time. I'm having my me time. I'm not going to go to church because I need a me time. There's all kinds of reasons to have a me time. Well, today is your me time at church, okay? 25, 30 minutes. Do this for yourself. And today or tomorrow, if people ask what the sermon was like, did I miss anything? I'm sure you get asked that. Or if it was any good, here's what I want you to say. The sermon's not done yet. I'm just starting to write it. Because I want you to write your sermon as you listen to God's word this morning. And it speaks to you. So, the reason I call it a self-centered life is because this psalm, and I'm just going to do a general reference on all of the psalms. Maybe you don't know this. In the Psalms, it says me 783 times. It says my 743 times. It says I 798 times for a grand total of 2,324 times. Pretty self-centered. There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. I will not be going through each one this morning and explaining them. But every verse but 16 have I, me, or my. You see, the Christian faith is a personal relationship. Yes, as a community, as a body, but it's you and God. One person having a relationship with another person. An alive human having a relationship with their creator who relates to them. A creator who talks to you, who gives to you. We don't have a relationship with a book, okay? We don't have a relationship with a favorite verse. We don't have a relationship with a doctrine, that you love and would die for, that's not your relationship, or a specific theology, you have a relationship with the living God. Where else can we go but to God? Peter said to Jesus. Who else has the words of eternal life? So it's you and God for the next few minutes, some me time. So this psalm is about the law and the statutes of God, but the psalm is also about human emotions, experiences that maybe you've had in the last week or month, frustration, lust, 
materialism, guilt, love, joy, spiritual strength, spiritual weakness, giving up, and loyalty. Big spectrum stuff we go through on a weekly basis. Here's some verses for you. I am shriveled like a wineskin in the smoke. Picture that in your mind. Exhausted. Why? With waiting. Remember we talked when we talked about by faith, waiting is part of living by faith. It's hard. I am shriveled like a wineskin in the smoke, exhausted with waiting, but I cling to your principles and obey them. I am insignificant and despised, but I don't forget your commandments. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Evil people are trying to drag me into sin, but I'm firmly anchored. I'm overwhelmed with rage. Anyone had that this week? It's okay. It's part of being a human. I'm overwhelmed with rage, for my enemies have disregarded your words. I hate and I abhor all falsehood, but I love your law. Many persecute me and trouble me, yet I have not swerved from your decrees. This is what the writer of Psalms, probably David, won't get into a big debate on who wrote it, but probably David. So you can ask ourselves some questions. Is this us? Is this me? Is this you? Kind of what I just read. Do you want it to be you? God can direct your mind, and he does so. Miraculously, without violating your free agency. And he does so in answer to prayer. Nine times the psalmist here says, teach me. Nine times he says, give me. The last verse, verse 176, says, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, God, for I have not forgotten your commands. The issues have not yet been resolved by David, the psalmist here. But there's an expectancy that God will meet him at his personal need. He's got some me time, and he's giving it all to God in 176 verses. I have strayed and I am straying. Lord, come and find me. Lead me to green pastures. Then, verse 6, I will not be disgraced when I compare my life, disgraced when I compare my life with your commands. I will learn your righteous laws. I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your principles. Please don't give up on me. Verse 8. Verse 9, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word and following its rules. I've tried my best to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. This is his heart. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me, teach me, 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 me. Teach me your principles. Open my, 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 my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your law. I lie in the dust, completely discouraged, verse 25. Has that been your week? Revive me. How? By your word. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments. It takes work. It takes work. It's great work. Keep me from lying to myself, verse 39. I could go on and on and on. I won't go through every verse. You write this part of the sermon, okay? That's your job this week to go through Psalm 119. So once again, this is us, people. 
but we want to be like the psalmist. So here's some background on this psalm. You might find this interesting. Psalm 119 is a reflection on the scriptures in general, the source of divine instruction. The Torah, perhaps, the first five books, but we can look at it as all of God's word to us. This poem is composed of 22 strophes. You might not know what that is. It's a unit within a poem, like a stanza. So there's 22 stanzas in this psalm. One for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each strophe or stanza is made up of eight lines, and each line of the given stanza starts with the same letter of the alphabet. So there's eight lines, all starting with the letter, if it was English, you know, A. Then the next stanza, every line starts with B, C, D, E, F, all the way to Z. That's how that works. So if David was writing this in English, it would have 26 stanzas, not 22. And if he was writing it in Spanish, do you know how many stanzas there would be? Spanish has one more letter than the English language. I didn't realize that. I looked it up this morning. So, but if he wrote it in English, it'd be 208 verses. So this alphabetic acrostic form serves to underscore the completeness of the celebration of the Lord's words to us, the perfection of his word to us, its comprehensive wisdom to us, and its application to us. This is what David's trying to get across to us. Aids in memorization as well, because they, some of these people would have had all 176 verses memorized. Go for it. While the Torah has customarily been translated law, it is preferable to translate it as instruction or teaching in this context. Because when we hear the word law, what do we think of? Law and order, restrictions, a massive lift of prohibitions. But don't look at it that way. This is guidance. This is truth. This is directions. It's like a Google map to get you to the right, correct destination of morality is what it is. It shows completion and totality. And by the end of the psalm, you can feel the poet has indeed fully covered his subject very completely. And that subject is the law of God. And he pulls out all the stops, so to speak. Do you know what that means, pulling out all the stops? I used to play an organ. I still can, but I used to play a lot. My grandma Simpson had one. And you had little stops that you would pull out trumpet stop, the violin stop. You pull them all out. It's a horrible sound <laughs> to pull out all the stops. But the point is, he's trying to let us know today, you need to get into this. I am doing every which way I can for you to get it. I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm using all the resources at my disposal. I'm not holding anything back because I have a result that I want and desire. And it's for you to know wisdom. It's for you to know the Word of God. So he refers to God's Word with eight different Hebrew words. He wants us to have certain attitudes and beliefs. He wants us to resolve what God's Word is to us. He wants us to know there's a mysterious, still, small voice that comes to us based on Scripture. And he wants this word hidden in our hearts, so he gives us eight different 
Hebrew words. I'll just quickly go through them. The word law, it's 25 times in here. The word, uh, the word word, 24 times. Laws, 23 times. Statutes or principles, 23 times. Commands, 22 times. Decrees, 21 times. Precepts, 21 times. Word, 19 times. I say all this because I'm wanting us to get something, right? The word of God is complete for us. It's what we need. It's nourishment for our soul. And David is saying, get into it. This is what it is. And this psalm is not written at the mountaintop of spiritual victory, ease and joy. It's from some defeat and frustration and some grief. It's a reflection of when he has obeyed and when he hasn't obeyed. And when he's gone after sin and when he's gone after the word, the word has exposed him, it has guilted him, it has rescued him, it has delivered him, it has trapped him, and it has restored him. That's what the word of God does. Key verse, number one, we've got two key verses. Verse five, oh, oh, you ever start a sentence off with oh? Why? Why, why do we do that? Oh, this is imperative. This is the most important thing. That my actions, my ways would consistently reflect your decrees and principles. Oh, Lord, I want my life when people see me, that they see your word alive and active. I don't want them to see hypocrisy. Again, is this me? Is this you? Do you want it to be you? Are you, do you have a heart's cry? Oh, oh, that my actions and my ways would consistently reflect what you want of me. Divine commands should direct us in the subject of our prayers. Again, I encourage you to come to our prayer time Wednesday mornings at 6. Well, what do we pray about? Well, you, you, pray, you pray Bible verses. You pray stuff like this. Make this happen in our lives, Lord. Make this happen at Broadway Church. We cannot of ourselves keep God's commands and words as he would have them kept. And so we, prayer is what we do. We ask and he gives. We ask the Lord to work his work in us. Oh, that my actions would. I think this is kind of a bit of admittance of regret because maybe he feels he hasn't kept the principles diligently but oh he wants to it's a cry of weakness appealing for help to the only one who can give him help it is a call perhaps even of confusion and frustration some dissonance some hypocrisy some double-mindedness a divided heart Someone who's lost his way a little bit and he desires to get directed back into it. It's the petition of faith from one who loves God and trusts in him for his grace. Oh, Lord, that my actions, my ways, my words would constantly, consistently reflect what you want it to reflect. Key verse number two. Mark mentioned this one. Your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path. And in the context, it's a light and a lamp to avoid traps and snares and wrong ways, moral-wise. You know, when people are looking, you know, there's a certain age you start getting asked, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to be? What are you going to do? By the way, based on the last weekend's golf tournament, I don't plan to be a pro golfer. 
just in case you were wondering. I will keep my day job. This is not about career. This is about morals. It's about how to treat people. It's about how to hold the tongue. It's about how to be wise. It's not about what job should I have. Although it can relate to that, but it's not the primary reason you would read this is, Lord, oh, give me a lamp to my feet. Because you know how light and lamps work? Five feet at a time? In this, in this day, today we can have these fancy police lights and go 300 yards or something, right? We're talking something that maybe gives them five feet of direction. And that's all God wants to give us many times. We sometimes want to know what's happening 100 feet from now, what's happening 300 yards from now. God's saying, let's worry about today, Gary. we got five feet that you got a light for and a lamp for, and let's deal with that. Again, this is me time. Let's deal with that. What's the next five feet in your life? What's something you're contemplating? Maybe even a sin you're contemplating. Let the Word direct you. It's not a convenient guide for your career, but truth for moral principles and choices. Snares. Classic example, whole sermon on this, Jesus in the desert. Trap set before him. Satan's given him a snare. Worship me and I can give you these things, these three things. What does he do? The word of God was a light for the path of Jesus. It was a lamp to his feet. Jesus needed it. Jesus needed to know the word. He was human. And the word of God just, it was hidden in his heart and it just flooded out so that he would not sin against his father. If Jesus needed to do it, who do we are to think we don't need to? Classic example of how the light in the lamp works. So what is to be our attitude toward this psalm or the word of God? And we need to do a whole series on the authority of scriptures. Because today, there's a, a group, they call themselves progressive Christianity or whatever. And you say, well, do you believe in the authority of the word? Well, I believe, yes, I believe in Jesus. You know, they just somehow... Jesus is the word of God, so we neglect this idea of the rest of the word being authority. <laughs> well, that's great that you believe Jesus is the authority, because he has a lot to say about the Old Testament. He has a lot to say about morality and life. So that's, that's cool. But we look at the whole, all of Scripture here, not just the words of Jesus. So what is to be our attitude towards the Lord's instructions? Maybe you have doubt. Many people do. Skepticism. If it's convenient... I'll follow that lamp and that light. So here's a couple things. Generally, I kind of just went through a hodgepodge of the 176 verses. This is what we have. Your attitude is you're to love, love it. That's what the psalm is telling us. You're to love it. In fact, you were to love it more than the finest gold. That's how David puts it. Maybe better, love it more than a new car, a house, clothing, or food. If you're a foodie, be a wordy, okay? Our love means we honor that instruction. We love to study it. We love to put it into practice. We delight in it, is what he says. 
And that's the next one. We delight in it. That's our attitude. We search for God with all our hearts in it. He hides his instruction within our hearts in it. We want it. That's to be our attitude. Do we want it? Repeatedly, the psalmist uses an imperative verb form to ask God for instruction. He wants it. I desire this. We desire that the Lord teach us both so that we can better understand his instruction and we can better put those instructions into practice. We want it. Oh, that I would follow you consistently. And we are to live it. We're to live it. I have chosen to be faithful. Verse 30. I have determined, that's my attitude, I've determined to live by this. So this resolve is no fair-weather commitment, but it's a strong, even in the face of hardship and opposition, it keeps going. Even princes sit and speak against me. What am I going to do? What's my attitude? I will meditate on your decrees. The proud hold me in utter contempt. What is my attitude? I do not turn away from your instructions. Evil people try to drag me into sin. Bad company corrupts good morals. What's my attitude? I'm going to be firmly anchored in your instructions. That's verse 61. Though the wicked hide along the way to kill me or to fire me or get after me or whatever it might be, verse 95, I will quietly keep my mind on your laws. Many persecute me and trouble me. What am I going to do? Get revenge? Nope. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. You're going to watch your tongue. You're not going to swerve from what he has to say. Again, people, is it for me? Is it for you? Now, these attitudes and this resolve will result in some great benefits. Here's some that are listed in Psalm 119. Verse 165, peace. Those who love your instructions have great peace and do not stumble. Comfort. Your promises revive me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The word of God does this. Freedom, I will walk in freedom, verse 45, for I've devoted myself to your commandments. Freedom doesn't just come. He doesn't, it comes with obedience. It comes with devotion. And there's freedom. Hope, do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help, and I put my hope in your words. Another great benefit, renewal and refreshing. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I have suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again, as you promised. Do I want this? Do you want this? These are the benefits. Peace, comfort, freedom, hope, renewal, refreshing. This psalm and these eight words about God's law, principles, precepts, they reveal God's heart for us, okay? His word reveals his heart. He is rooting for you. Ever thought of that? What's your, your, your idea of God? Oh, man, I messed up. He is against me. He disappointed in me. He might even hate me. He has no use for me. No, he is rooting for you. He is for you and not against you. I think 
when Paul wrote Romans, I think a lot of Psalms was in his, in his mind as he wrote out the book of Romans. When we look into the heart of God, we see his unfailing love. And get off this idea that the God of the Old Testament is wrath and the God of the New Testament is love. Like, that is the stupidest thing you can possibly believe, okay? And I've heard it from people. It's nuts. The Old Testament is full of his love and his grace. And the New Testament is full of his wrath. (laughs) Read the Revelation. Because the earth, it says, is full of his unfailing love. We want the Lord to deal with us. How? According to his unfailing love. So let's end this with looking at a few stanzas. Might not get through all of them here. I've got some listed. I'll do, I'll do most of those on the, on the board there. The second stanza, the Hebrew word is Beth. It's the only one to open with a question. The psalmist asks how a young person might stay on the path of purity. Keep his way pure. Now, I didn't grow up uh, as a Christian. Didn't come to know Jesus until I was 22. I went off to uh, university after high school, all the way to Nova Scotia, to Acadia, uh, in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. And my grandpa Rempel, a believer, a lay pastor in the MB Church in Yarrow, gave me a living Bible. And he wrote this verse for me. Probably knowing what a 17-year-old young man with some testosterone might be thinking of doing. He wasn't stupid. He knows what humans are like. (laughs) He gave me that verse. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know the Bible. But I took that Bible with me. I put it on my shelf in my room and in my dorm stayed pure by the way in case you're wondering the image of the path keep their way their path pure it's your life there's two paths the wise path or the foolish path Lorraine talked about this you know wisdom or folly Wisdom is primarily addressed to the young who are making fundamental life choices. But the issue, of, cho- of course, is, remains relevant for all of us. You and I, young or old, stay on the path of purity by obeying God's word. It's important to start off young. God can redeem your lost years of impurity. It's just better to start off pure. That's what it's saying. This is why our children's youth ministry is so vital. We believe these kids need the word of God hidden in their heart. And thank you for volunteering, sponsoring middle school, high school, coming to Vacation Bible Camp, Children's Church. I'm going to skip to the last, to uh, 105, 112. The lamp and the light again. The law lights up the path of life. Reveals to us God's will for how we to live. That's what God's word does. It's a lamp it's light. We can avoid the pitfalls and snares. And he expresses a deep commitment to follow it. He calls God to help him according to his word. And then the last one, 169 to 176. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but the Hebrew word is tau. Is that right? 
T-A-W, is that how you pronounce it, you Hebrew scholars? There's 16 personal references in these eight lines. So the psalmist concludes his lengthy poem with a series of asks. He's imploring God to hear all that he's written. He's asking God to answer his prayer to rescue him. He's asking God for strength to continue his worship. He says, I've wandered like a lost sheep, and he asks God to find him. There is a good verse. He says, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek me, God. Go after me. Come and get me, Lord. Leave the 99 and come and get me. Because all have sinned. We've all strayed. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is the only one who's perfectly kept the law. We deserve the penalty coming to lawbreakers. But as Paul joyfully, joyfully proclaimed, thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus not only kept all the law, but he died on our behalf because we didn't. But now we can become obedient because Jesus is in us. So I hope this is for you. That was the question at the beginning. It's for me. I want it. Do you want it? So come to Jesus. He is the living word. I ask Kate to come on up and close us with a prayer, with a word. Let me live that I may praise you. May your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. And after she prays for you, our our worship band will come up and conclude our service. Good morning. I don't know how you're feeling today about God's word. If you're like, I love the Bible, or I struggle with the Bible. I'm confused. It hasn't spoken to me. I've read it, it's nothing new. So I just want us to bow our heads, and like Carrie said, this is a you time to be focusing and centering on what you feel in all honesty about the Bible. Does it bring you life? Does God's word feel boring, overused, misrepresented, and so it's not for you to dive into? Um, And I want us to pray for a way that God will renew that. The lies that we are telling ourselves about the Bible (laughs) would be gone. And when we open the Bible this week, which I hope you would in some way, that it would be life-giving, the bread of life. Are you confused, downtrodden, frustrated? Um, Do you put so much pressure on the Bible that when you open it up, it's supposed to give you this big idea that transforms your day, um, and then it never quite gets that? I don't know what your relationship is with God's Word or the history you have with it. Um, But God knows, and God wants to meet you this week, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we really do. That we don't have to figure out life on our own. That you give us so much wisdom and hope and guidance and care in your word. That we can read about who we are, who you created us to be, And I don't know what we come to your word with, the history we have with the Bible, but I just ask that it would be renewed this week. 
I just ask that you would convict our hearts this week to choose to try again in a new way. To open your word and say, Jesus, I do want this. I want your word in my life and I need it. And regardless of the history or the hurt or the frustration or the confusion, I trust that you will speak to me, that you see me as I'm deciding to spend time with you and your word. Lord, we're just so grateful that you don't abandon us and that you say, yes, you want to know about 100 feet or 300 feet in the future, but I have five feet for you today. I actually meet you today and tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I have something for you every day to help you in that day. And so, Lord, I just ask that that would be true for us, that we would seek you and your word this week, and we would feel the truth of you as a shepherd giving us something, our daily bread to live off of for that day, our five feet of light so that we can live with you. May our hearts be softened towards your word. May we want it. May we actually be hungry to know what you have to say about us and our life and who you are. Give us a hunger to know you in a different way this week. And Lord, just thank you so much that you will meet us, that your Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts right now about a hunger and a desire to know your word. Thank you that you don't leave us. And may the Bible just be a fresh gift this week that we didn't know we needed. Or maybe we did know we needed and it met us. And so I just ask that that would be true for us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.